So this afternoon we will follow the, the rest of the questions that uh, were written the, the other day and a few that were also written recently. The thing also with these questions is that I don't uh, uh, claim to give the complete answer. You have to find your own answers. And I will read the questions here. And uh, if you are not to understand it, or if you want to clarify it a little bit more, then don't hesitate to give a point of view, or maybe just ask for more details, in case uh, uh, what I will say will not be complete. I will be also looking at the questions up to 5 o'clock, then I will tell you the 5 o'clock uh, the time, and then we will see if uh, anything else needs to be uh, talked, then we will see what, uh, what we will uh, do. So one of question is, could you please elaborate on how we can use and expand on such an approach? Like uh, the, the question also is related to three days ago, I gave a, a guided meditation on the mind and matter interaction. Huh? So uh, how can we use and expand such an approach to deepen our understanding of causality and non-self? Observing elements at the sense doors, contact, etc., strikes me as a useful bridge between samatha and the classic vipassana method of watching the arising and passing away of sensations, bringing more clarity as to how phenomena arise in the first place. So uh, for the approaches, uh, like I said also that uh, when I gave the guided meditation, the few suggestions uh, I, I told when we were practicing the meditation, like you just scan the body and then you just relax and then little by little you come closer to the physical phenomena and then you see these physical phenomena as the four elements. These four elements are inside this body, and then also you have these four elements outside the body. And then when you are close to the physical phenomena, also you start to make the connections with what is happening in the mind. And then it starts with uh, consciousness, like, like, like the consciousness that is rising at the sixth sense door. So for example, if there is the eye sensitivity, the eye base, then the contact of the visual uh, image or form or color that comes with the eye, then the attention that is given to that connection is where consciousness is going to arise. And then the meeting of the tree is contact. After that, we have sensation. And then sensation leads to uh, craving and all, all, these, uh, all these things also, sensations also is connected with uh, uh, perception and also the thinking that is uh, uh, proliferating on these types of uh, sense encounter. So this is the mode number four. Right? If we look at the approaches of mindfulness, that means this is analytical observation. 
So one aspect of the question is that uh, this approach brings us a more, bringing more clarity as to how phenomena arise in the first place. Huh? So first we have to be with the experience, and then the closer we look at the experience, we see how phenomena arise, depending on each other, depending on the relationship that they have with uh, uh, different uh, aspects of causality. So first of all, we define the content of experience by dissecting, by uh, examining. What is that? So we see down that there is the eye base, that means eye sensitivity, or the, there is the ear base, the, there is the, the nose, the, the, the tongue, and then the body also, the mind also. And then the contact with these six sense doors also uh, brings us to know what is uh, the content of the mind. So. Uh, the idea is that we start by breaking down the compactness of phenomena, and then we are starting with the body. So normally we just feel the body as a unit, as something that is a substantial, and also that is solid, and, and, and just something that is put together. But by cutting these phenomena, physical phenomena, as we see that actually they are a little bit different. And then we can see also very much details of all these physical phenomena as a component. So uh, we do also the same thing with the mind. So how to develop causality, how to understand the relationship. So here we have two basic classes of phenomena. We have the body and also we have the mind. When we are looking at the body, then we see that Many causes are there. The food we are eating is a cause for our body to be alive. The air we breathe, then what we are thinking also is influencing the body. And then the temperature. Many things inside the body are the support, are the causes for the body to keep alive. So depending on what we are looking at the body, we can see that uh, specific causes relate to uh, the specific effect that we have, so the, 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 the effect of, or, or the causes for the, for the sense organs to arise is a little bit different than the, 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 the effect, the, the, the causes that bring the effect of, uh, you know, uh, aspects of uh, uh, different phenomena in the body. So within one class of phenomena, like the physicality, we see different causes, different conditions, and then when also we pass to the mind, then we dissect, we divide the different components of the minds, and then we see the different, uh, uh, the, the difference that we have, like with the volition, and then with the sensation, and then the perception, and the, uh, the, the mindfulness, or the, 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 all the colors so that comes together with the mind. So within the mind, we see also the different phenomena that are the component of what we think is the mind. So the mind, if we are to divide it, many types of division we can do, we come to see that it's a, it's a, it's a unit of, uh, of different components. No? So then we analyze, or we just try to, with the classification we like, the division we like to make out of that phenomena, we, 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 we look at it, and then, and then from there we see the different uh, uh, relationship that these phenomena, these mental factors have uh, within each other, uh, between each other. So once 
the basic uh, component and the basic causality of one class of phenomena, that means the mind has been uh, analyzed, then also once also it has been also analyzed by way of materiality, then we see how these two, mind and body, relates to each other. And then by putting them together, then we see much more the whole mechanic of the process. Uh, so we understand, we come to understand uh, things that are uh, what is uh, most fundamental. That means we, we, we understand uh, the details of, uh, of the experience. So I think uh, what the, the person says that it strikes her as a useful bridge between samatha and the classic vipassana method of watching the rising and passing away of sensations. Uh, I will say this is true. Like it's a yes, it's, it, it can be a bridge because the closer we look at the the closer we look at uh, the experience, then also the closer we come. Uh, the, 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 the clearer we come, the mind becomes. So it's an aspect of samatha, but also the analysis we are making out of our observation also uh, uh, brings us more clarity about the vipassana. So anyway, it's just the same. In the twelve links of dependent origination, mental formations, sankara, come before consciousness. Why? As consciousness functions as, as the forerunner of mental factors. So, if we look at the dependent origination with the twelve link, then the uh, sankara, like we have avidya, petya, uh, sankara, Sankara, Pachya, Vijnana. So Sankara are the mental formations and then uh, Vijnana is the consciousness. So here uh, we have to see it uh, on uh, first of all, we have to realize that uh, in one moment of consciousness all these 12 factors can be seen. So that means we can understand the 12 links of the dependent origination in one moment. That means we can understand dependent ori origination in the, in the depth of the, of the present. Uh, so in the present, one moment, you have avidya, sankara, vijnana, nama, upasalatana, and all the chain is there in one moment. So it's not necessarily like, okay, now you have a Vijaya, and then you have Sankara, and then you have Vijnana. Huh? So in one moment, we can, we can see the 12 link. So if we are looking at Avijja, huh? ignorance is the cause for mental formation. Avijja, Patya, Sankara. Hmm? Avijja is not happening by itself. It's a defilement, or it's a quality that the mind will have. So Consciousness will be connected with avidya. So then already you have consciousness there. 
So avidya is not arising by itself. So the consciousness which has avidya generates also uh, mental formations that are going to push again and that, 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 that is going to create again becoming, you know, on the, on, uh, on the base of, uh, in, in the base of uh, time seen as a linear uh, evolution. So, uh, in this case, avidya comes before sankara. But sankara also is part of avidya. So, ignorance is the cause for the consciousness, is the cause for uh, mental formation. Uh, and then mental formation is the cause for consciousness. So, um, So mental formations comes, it is part of consciousness as well. So if we look at the Patishamupada in the one moment, then it will be the same. It will all arise at the same moment. But if we are to look at dependent origination on a linear basis, then the mental formations will be the mental formations that were created before. And sometimes, I mean, in this case, uh, before this life. So the mental formations that were uh, done in the previous life. So at the moment of that, then the mental formations, that means the kamma, that means the volition, uh, that has been built up with the momentum of actions in the past life, will carry that force of kamma into another life. So the first moment of the other life is identified as the consciousness. Also, in this case, if we take uh, mental formation as the mental formations of the previous life, then this is the force that is going to create a, a consciousness in the future. Also, so the force of Sankara is creating consciousness in this life. But consciousness also uh, will arise with, again, another group of mental factors, and then these mental factors also will create new consciousness. So, in this case, we have, uh, we have consciousness is the forerunner of the mental factors. So, in both ways, like one condition the other, and then also the other condition. Uh, so, you can, you can, you can interplay uh, their dynamic. You can start from any link, and then you see that uh, actually it can be turned uh, the way around, because uh, because it's a cycle, it's a cyclic process. So in one moment, if we assume, or if we agree that in one moment, we have these 12 links of a dependent origination, depending on where we start, we see, okay, now here, so this one is the cause for this, and then it, this one is the cause for all of them. But taken on a linear aspect, then we see that this one is actually preceding the one that will come after and then this one also is being preceded by these ones. So depending on how we see the dependent origination, then we will understand it all. We see it like this, so also we see it like this, and then also we, see, we can see it also the other way. Huh? So it can start by the end, and then it can come back at the beginning. Another question is, I have a question about desire in daily life. For those of us 
who live in the outside world. Well, you think we don't live in the outside world? <laughs> anyway, for those of us who live in the outside world, can one not desire to hear a nice classical music concert, enjoy a good cup of coffee, or have a nice beer? So why not? Why, why you will not have the, anyway, the, 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 the rest of the questions. I realize that if craving drives one to keep searching for more or better, that is a defilement. But what about an occasional simple wish? I also realize there will be occasional disappointments when the desire item does not meet expectations. But at that time, one can mindfully look into this. So we are living, so we need, we need to live, and then we, we need to get some kind of satisfaction from our life, isn't it? And uh, uh, it's not that we have to cut all the desires, and all the desires are bad. So, for example, if we look at the, the Buddhist teaching, then the, the Buddha is even giving advice of how to earn your livelihood properly, how to have your business succeed, huh? And then how to become wealthy? He doesn't. He, he didn't say you should be uh, just uh, eating granola and uh, having a chamomile tea in the breakfast. No. <laughs> so you can have. Uh, I mean, you can have the things that, that 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 you can afford to have, and then you can also enjoy it and also uh, share these things with other people. There is nothing wrong with that. Uh, Yes, many things we can add on that, many, many things. But also, like, uh, here we, 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 the, the last uh, word is that uh, uh, at that time one can mindfully look into this. So the thing is that uh, we are developing mindfulness. So mindfulness is not an ideal, it's not a theory. We talk, no, I should be like this and I should be, you know, just wishing for enlightenment and these things are to be neglected and no, I'm just going to be enlightened and, and, and I will neglect myself. I won't uh, uh, allow uh, me to, to have pleasures or, you know, the joy of life. It's not, it's not like that. If one is mindful, and very often we are not mindful, then one will be in the present moment. This is a quality of mindfulness. So we don't say that pleasures are good or they are bad. They are just limited. Or there is a, there is a limit to, to the satisfaction that they can bring. And also if we are very mindful, then we start to be aware of the quality of the mind. So what is the quality of the mind when we drink a cup of coffee or when we drink a cup of tea or have a nice meal? What is the effect of the mind? What am I thinking? Am I really there? And sometimes these things can be very rich. Huh? We can get very good uh, uh, energy and then also inspiration depending on what we feed the mind with when we are having uh, any kind of pleasures. So pleasures by themselves are not uh, are neither good nor bad, huh? unless we are arming other people by uh, 
uh, wanting to satisfy ourselves, but they are just they are just limited. So the the position that we are going to adopt there in our philosophy is that uh, we will not live to uh, mm. so it's not that we cannot we will not live for desire so that means the aim our of our life is not to f- is not uh, it the aim of our life is not to live for sensual pleasure but our life can be lived with sensual pleasure so this is very different so we can accept the pleasures that we have and also we can also uh, attract and also appreciate the pleasure that we have but we will not make the aim of our life sensual pleasure because then it's going to be limited so the sensual sensual pleasure will be there but uh, they will not be the aim the final aim of our practice so if we listen to music Sometimes it's very good. Sometimes if we just are in a hot bath, you know, and relax when we have spent uh, our days outside in the winter, it's good. But this is this essential pleasure. Huh? So what is what are these pleasures doing to our mind? How are how, how do we feel when we have uh, uh, you know enjoy these things? That's the, that's the whole question. So if we are mindful, we are aware of what we are experiencing, we are aware also if it is uh, beneficial or not beneficial. So sometimes it can be very beneficial, and sometimes also well, we see that it, it may not uh, be the best thing that we can do. It's just, uh, it, it is just for us to, to be aware of. Do you have any comment on that? Yes, I don't think I don't think meditation or is just is bringing more limitation to our mind. We we just we don't cut ourselves from life, uh, and then we don't cut ourselves from being involved in life. I think meditation gives us the, the the possibility to improve the quality of our life. This is this is very different. Hmm? Like for example, uh, attachments. Attachments. I mean, you read the books and they say that this is the source of suffering. If we are attached to people, we, we will suffer because they are not they are they are not everlasting, and also they will not be able to satisfy us. I mean, only uh, fully. But if we don't have attachment, then we will not care for people. So sometimes attachment can also be useful because we, we it's a motivation for us to, to do good things to others. So a technical question here 
is that the self-identity view is eradicated with the first path fusion. Why is conceit still operating? And is only eradicated with the, uh, the fourth path and fruit? What is the difference between these two, self-identity and conceit? So it is the, not like a self-identity is actually a sakaiditi, or, or, or yeah, sakaiditi, so it's the self, the view. That means it's the perspective we have in regard to ourself, in, in regard to what we think is ourself. So the perspective the insight we are getting into this phenomena, into other phenomena of mind and body, then uh, if we see the mechanic, if we see the dynamics of these phenomena, if we see them also uh, you know, with, the, with the eyes of insight, then uh, our conception of them or our view our understanding of them will, will make us realize that there is no, actually there is no self there. But uh, this, is, this doesn't mean that we will be completely free from craving. Huh? Still craving, like after the first experience of uh, the, the path and fusion, then craving will still be there. Huh? There, there, there. There will be still something that will push us uh, in life. Uh, after life, or, or it will something something w will still uh, keep us going by way of craving, but more subtle aspects of craving. So, if there is craving, then the craving is not for nothing. Huh? Craving arises because there is still uh, uh, identification with this phenomena. So, although we may have the understanding of this is no self, still the. Uh, the, 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 the clinging and the craving is still there. Also because of that, then the conceit is not eradicated. Because if there is a self, or if there is craving, or if there is craving, there is a self. Or there is a kind of, a, uh, we still have a concept of ourself. So as long as we have the concept of ourself, like uh, we, still, we still function with a self, huh? so as long as we have that concept, this concept that the, the, the um, the, uh, the conceit will be there. Conceit of uh, being feeling superior to somebody or to feeling uh, equal to someone or feeling inf inferior to other people. So this is just, although we see that there is, it's just a, a mechan it is just a, uh, an assemblage of parts and of different components and also there are just causes and conditions and always arising and passing away still the 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 craving may still be there, in which case also the conceit will also be there. Will you kindly speak of the practice an experience of vipassana. I know the variable parks, uh, those approach and methods are quite different than those taught at IMS, for example. My practice before Samatha was just attending to the predominant contact at the sense doors at ever uh, changing object of meditation. Rising and passing away were seen 
and the concept of anicca was understood by the intellect, as was the inference of dukkha and anatta. However, vipassana offers a very concentrated absorption state. After vipassana, after a very concentrated uh, absorption state, was a very different experience, especially anatta. I have not been instructed or studied the power method. So I assume that uh, uh, the person wants a little bit of my point of view. And uh, I will say that, uh, I will say that uh, it's a question, first of all, of, of getting the mind a little bit more sharp. So definitely with the, the practice of samadhi, the mind gets more clear, and then the hindrances are not uh, are not uh, predominant. Especially if someone uh, reaches jhana, then hindrances are not there to obstruct the mind. So, for that reason, the mind is very clear, and also the mind has the power to to look at, to look at an object because of the, the, that concentration to look at an object very closely in very much details, huh? and. Uh, this is what uh, actually uh, is the, 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 the approach that we find in the, in the park uh, as method. So both of these uh, methods are good. No? It's just, I think, a question of dis distance and the detail that uh, we find by looking at the objects. So. Uh, So, I don't know if it's a question, it's just a remark, and uh, then I, will, I, I, just say, I, ju I can just say that, uh, that in any case, whatever the method, if you have more samadhi, and then you apply this samadhi to, your, uh, to analyze, analyze, analyzing anything, especially like uh, mind and body, then the analysis and the understanding you will have about the, the, the topic will be, will be clearer, that's all. So, uh, the, the, the approach, uh, if you start, you know, not if, if you start by analyzing right from the beginning, then this is also going to make yourself develop samadhi, develop also clarity of mind, but uh, uh, it will be different. Huh? The, the, the first approach, like if you approach with samatha, then you just strengthen the quality of, uh, the, of concentration. Huh? The other one is you strengthen the quality of concentration, but just by from the beginning, trying to uh, to understand the phenomena as they are. Also, this is the difference. Some say that jhana cannot eradicate the deepest anusaya kalesa from the mind, and that the only way to do so is by observing the vedana, or the sensation, the feeling, at the touch sense door of the body. Failure to do so will lead the jhana-only practitioner to miss the ultimate goal of Nibbana. So your opinion about that. Also a similar question here is that uh, what is the role sorry, what is the role of Vedana in relation to the eradication of the an Anusaya Kilesa, that means the underlying uh, defilements that we spoke about uh, a few days back.
So I'd like to maybe to give a simile at the beginning. Huh? So just let's say that uh, you, you, you have been very successful in your life. Huh? And then you had been able to, to buy not only one Mercedes, but you get the Mercedes wagon and then the Mercedes Sport and also the standard type of Mercedes. And not only that, you are able to buy your own private plane. Huh? So you get your seaplane, right? So sometime, from time to time, uh, you just go on vacation or you just take your seaplane and then you go uh, and, and, and then you, I mean, wherever you like to go. Uh, and then sometimes you may go for a fishing trip you, with your friends. So you take your plane and then you just fly. So in the air, you don't have any problems. Is the, is the, the plane is going well and everything is fine. Uh, everything is fine. But when you lie down, um, not when, you're not, when you land on the lake, Right, because it's uh, it's with the float floaters. No? So the plane lands on the lake, and then and then you get out, you know, with one or two friends on the floaters. So you are with the floaters, and then you start fishing. But you know, after a few minutes, you look at your friend, and and then you look at the floaters, and then you look at your friends, and then you look at the floaters, and you realize that actually you have holes in the floaters. So yeah, I think you are in trouble. So although you can fly, if you have holes in in the in the floaters, huh, then the, the the plane is going to sink in the in the in the lake. So I mean, what was the use of? Uh, that means it was not. Th there is something missing there. So there is something missing. So it's the same thing. Like the plane in the jhana. You can fly, or you can have, you can be detached a little bit from, uh, from the sensual world, huh? and then you can have also a different view. But if you are not with the sense contact, huh? if you are not with the, with the actual uh, normal daily encounter of sense impediment, then you will think. I mean, if you on, don't understand that, then you may, uh, you may, you, you may think in the... In, in, in the lake, so uh, maybe the simile is not uh, correct, but then uh, <laughs> I can give. I mean, we can. You you can give your own uh, your own comment also on that. So first of all, he says that uh, by observing the Vedana at the touch sense doors of the body. Failure to do so would lead the jhana practitioner only to not, not to nibbana. So. The thing is that uh, we have to understand the whole process of life. And then how do, how do we are in contact with life with the six senses. Also, if we are not accustomed, if we don't know uh, what is happening when we look at things, when we touch things, when we smell things, and, and then all these encounters, if we are not aware, if we are not understanding the process, then there will be, uh, you know, there will. This is where it is in the experience that the, defi the defilements are going to arise. What what is happening when when I am drinking the coffee? So this is the sense door. You are not in the jhana anymore. So although you might have had a very good concentration, if if there is a, um, a misunderstanding of the experience, then uh, it will not be it will not be complete. And not only at the body door, but also at the, the other uh, the other sense doors.
I think also like a few days back, I gave the reference. I read uh, I read one of the of the text in the. I just just to remind just to remind you the the, the quotation that uh, is just was just about it was it was somehow about that. So it was in the Madhimanika, this book, and then on the Sutta 149. And because when one knows and sees the eye as it actually is, when one knows and sees forms as they actually are, when one knows and sees eye consciousness as it actually is, when one knows and sees eye contact as it actually is, when one knows and sees as it actually is, the feeling felt as pleasant or painful or neither painful nor pleasant that arises with eye contact as condition, then one is not inflamed by lust for the eye, for forms, for eye consciousness, for eye contact, for the feeling felt as pleasant or painful or neither painful nor pleasant that arise with eye contact as condition. So, of course, here we see that the problem is arising with feeling. But as I explain, I mean, as I describe about the Patichasmupada, the, the twelve link of dependent origination can be in one conscious moment. Huh? But also, the five aggregates can also, they always arise together. So if we have the eye, I mean, this is the, the materiality aggregate. And then if we have the sensation, this is also part of the mind. And then also the perception, and then the consciousness, and then the reaction. So all these things are arising together. But uh, the problem that is arising is when craving is there. So we are craving for the experience. But the experience uh, interpreted in terms of the subjectivity, and then the subjective, the 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 the, the, the subjective uh, trigger there is the feeling. So the feeling tone of the experience is what is going to lead us to craving. So if we are not understanding feeling, but not only feeling, the feeling with the whole spectrum of the experience. So if we are not understanding that, then craving is going to to overpower us, and also we are not. Uh, going to be uh, able to get rid of the Anusaya Kiresa, the underlying uh, tendency, because the underlying tendencies are all uh, uh, turning around uh, the aspect of feeling, the aspect of the five aggregates. Huh? So the defilements are in, regards, in regard to the five uh, aggregates themselves. So somehow, uh, so, so somehow we need to be uh, knowing what is happening at the sense doors, oh, and definitely the uh, jhana can be very useful for that. And then also, like uh, in relation of vedana with the er eradication of uh, the anusaya klesa, there is another reference specifically mentioning that, and it's. Uh, is the number 44, the Chula Vedala Sutta. And uh, it's the 
and then also the the uh, the dialogue here is with with a lady that has become a monastic and she is very uh, wise and very uh, very good meditator actually she's an arahat and the questions are being put to her and uh, so the the person actually was her ex-husband asked her visaka the underlying tendency to lust underlies pleasant feeling. The underlying tendency to aversion underlies painful feeling. The underlying tendency to ignorance underlies neither painful nor pleasant feelings. So this is a this is the uh, point of view. So that means that uh, uh, the underlying tendency, they, they are there with the feelings. So if we, are, if we don't know the potentials, the potential of these feelings, then the underlying tendency will, will still keep there and, and they, they will still uh, be building up themselves. Can you relate that to your experience? Do you think it makes sense? When you are angry, huh? when we are angry, for example, huh? oh, wh what do we feel? What do we feel? I think normally we feel very unpleasant sensation. So is the anger creating the unpleasant sensation, or are the unpleasant sensations creating the anger? Do we get upset because we feel bad, we feel tense, we feel uncomfortable? Hmm? So if we are to observe these manifestations of unpleasant feeling, we will see that if we don't approach them properly, and then don't look at them uh, properly, then uh, the under, I mean, the anger will still will still develop and develop again and again. But if we are to just observe them and then kind of relax, accept them, and then see what is there, what is that feeling telling me, and then we will see that uh, uh, sometimes the anger may come because of the un unpleasant feeling, hmm? and sometimes also the unpleasant feeling may come because I am still angry and I am still feeling feeding these. Uh, uh, unpleasant emotions. So we see that uh, actually all these emotions that we are experiencing in the mind, they are marked in the body. So we can, we can experience them physically. That means uh, to observe, uh, to know if we still have the underlying tendencies to loss or to hatred or to delusion, we also need to be aware of what is happening in, in, in the body. Because the body well, is uh, the, the, is, is a kind of mirror of the mind as well. And also the same thing with lust, huh? and also with, uh, with delusion. So when we feel very pleasant uh, feelings, then, then we, we, just, uh, we just generate more uh, craving for that. So the craving actually is for, is for the pleasant feeling. Uh, and then the aversion is for the unpleasant feeling. So that's why uh, to watch these feelings at the six sense doors 
is going to give us a clue to uh, to how uh, craving or, or aversion or delusions are being generated. You can, see if you want the details, you can read the whole the whole sutta and especially that. Uh, that uh, section, and uh, then the, the 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 question also is still continue asking uh, asking the, does the underlying tendency to lust have to be abandoned in regard to all the pleasant feelings, and then uh, to aversion tendency to aversion have to be abandoned in regard to all painful feelings. And then the tendency to ignorance have to be abandoned in regard to all neither painful nor uh, pleasant feelings. So the, question, the, the, the answer is that uh, the tendency, tendency to loss does not have to be abandoned in regard to all pleasant feelings and then to all painful feelings and then to all neither uh, painful nor pleasant feelings. So then here they speak about the jhana, huh, and they say that this is a very pleasant feeling. So in that pleasant feeling, then uh, that pleasant feeling should not be abandoned, but nevertheless, the pleasant feeling that you get uh, with the practice of jhana, uh, there is no underlying tendency to loss there, huh, and it does not underlie the, the, uh, that. But uh, here also the commentary says that, uh, that uh, in the jhana, you see the underlying tendency to lust uh, are not there. But if you just keep to that, then you will not eradicate the underlying tendency because you don't look at phenomena. So for, on, for uh, understanding and uh, getting, ring, uh, getting rid of the underlying tendency, then you, have to, you can use the jhana, Huh? But then, uh, being you outside of the jhana, that means uh, with the with the with that experience of jhana, then you practice inside. So there is a, a combination of jhana, huh? and then after that you are practicing inside. So you, with the jhana, you get uh, more uh, clarity and also perspective on the phenomena. But then phenomena have to be looked at uh, properly, and then. What it means is that uh, we have to look at phenomena also by way of the experience. That means the experience with, uh, with all the, 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 the six senses. What do you think about that? No, 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 you know, you are getting bored, I think, and maybe the question is, uh, is either uh, already answered, huh? you already know the, the, the answer, or uh, maybe the, what I am giving as a, an explanation is not uh, clear enough. What do you think about that? Are sensations, need, do the sensation need to be observed in order to get rid of uh, or to uh, 
get rid of uh, underlying tendency. And then if you are just lead, if you are just practicing jhana, then will that be enough to attain the final goal? Yes. Yeah. So, so she says she says that uh, that uh, actually from your experience, just to to see the the experience at the 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 the, the, the six sense doors, uh, and then to see the contact and also the sensation that is arising there, then she can see that the uh, uh, underlying tendency can be uh, detected in regard to pleasant feeling uh, by way of loss or by way of desire, and then unpleasant feeling by way of aversion and then pushing away. But she is wondering about the neutral feeling or the the, 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 the feeling of or the, the the mental state of uh, delusion, ignorance. How can it be perceived? So uh, they say that uh, the feeling of upekka. Uh, when there is a kind of neutral sensation, then this is where uh, ignorance comes in the picture, because we are not aware of its uh, real characteristic of impermanence, and then the mind is getting dull because it doesn't see the phenomena as a process of uh, arising and passing away, and then the mind is just lacking that clarity of vision, and then may think, "Oh, this is this is fine." So when I am upeka, when I am uh, neither bothered by pleasant feeling and neither uh, painful feeling, then I am feeling so well. No, I, I'm just uh, neutral. So that neutrality of experience is also, uh, 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 you know. Uh, motor to 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 bring more uh, ignorance because because we are just getting lazy and then we think oh no everything is okay you see so this is the, the, that's why uh, the neutral feeling is the potential for for developing ignorance. Yes, a low level, low level upeka, because you can be in a very relaxed state, but being very much aware of what is happening. So it's not the relaxation, it's the quality of the mind in regard to the experience. So if the mind is uh, uh, confused or the mind is uh, drowsy or uh, not clear enough, then the delusion can, co can come in, and much more easily with the neutral feeling. Because the pleasant feeling you see, it's so pleasant that you, you see the, the greed and then you, it's almost obvious. Huh? And also the opposite also will be true. When you feel very unpleasant, then the sensations or you know, the experience is unpleasant and also the reaction with aversion also is very obvious. But when it's neutral, then you think, oh, everything is fine, you see, and then you don't, uh, uh, you don't care so much. That's why mindfulness will give us uh, more uh, understanding about uh, the experience we have 
in all the situations, whether they are painful, uh, pleasant or neutral. So how can the mind take Nibbana as an object if it's not a voluntary act of will? So, I don't know. <laughs> because uh, if you take Nibbana as an object, then it has, it has to come with, a, with an act of will. In the same way, like uh, it, 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 here the question is about supramundane samadhi. So the samadhi, like the jhana, uh, you need a kind of will to say, okay, now I'm going to, to get more concentrated or, or direct my mind towards this type of uh, jhanic experience. So the same thing with Nibbana. At some point, there is the possibility just to incline the mind towards Nibbana, and then the mind really takes Nibbana a, a, as an object. So it's an act of will. But the thing is that uh, it's not a forceful act. It's an act based on the on wisdom oh. and then it's uh, it's voluntary but uh, but also uh, the volition there is very is much more subtle So here a simple question is about, can you give a brief history of the development of the sixth precept of not eating at inappropriate times and why the practice and, and why we practice it today as we do? What does this practice of this precept helps develop or explore? So So at the beginning there were no rules for the monastics, and then the, the monastics, the, the, they were just like ascetics, so they could go on alms any time of the day, and also in the evening they could go. So they found out that uh, it was very unpractical, like in these days in India, there was no electricity and no light, and so you can imagine a mendicant, you know, dressed like that, with this funny head, and with a bow coming in the night, it's kind of, it can be very scary. So. Uh, so, so it was not practical you know, for the monastics to go out in the evening begging for the food. So to make it more easy, then they said, no, no, at the after midday you just go in the morning and then you have, a, you have your meal in the morning and then you eat enough and, and, and then you, believe you will be fine for the day. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a question of, uh, of practicality. And also we, we, we find also like uh, when we are meditating, if we are having a good breakfast and a good, a good meal, you know, uh, at noon, or then at night we are not so hungry and then we see that uh, if we don't have much or sometimes if we don't have anything in, in, in the stomach, then we sleep, uh, we, we may sleep better and also we may wake up uh, in a more, in a more uh, wake, it, it may be easier. So I think it, it is supposed. It is supposed to. Uh, I mean, it is. Pra it is supporting our practice, huh? and also it can help us to uh, maybe to develop more uh, the the aspect of renunciation. Like all the time we need to eat, and then we need to enjoy, and then well, in the night if we are not eating, it's very boring. Huh? So 
uh, if we are occupied with our meditation, then we find, oh, well, it's not that necessary. And also you don't need to do the dishes. There is also a quote, you know, like just to say that actually it became an important uh, aspect of the of the monastic uh, rules. And uh, whoop, it's five o'clock, right? <laughs> so now you 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 have juice, I think. <laughs> you don't have dinner, so I will explain why you don't have the dinner there. <laughs> So it's the story, uh, you know, it's the number 70, Kita Geri Sutta. And then it's the, uh, the, the, the were, there were a group of monks and then they, they didn't agree about, uh, you know, abstaining from eating at night. And uh, then they say, no, no, if we are not eating, if we are eating at night, then we are free from illness and affliction and we enjoy health, strength and a comfortable abiding. And then... So, so, so then the, some, a group of monks, huh, they were saying that they should eat and it is very good for health and they, this is what should be done. And then the other group of monks, they said, no, no, the Buddha said, no, we, we, we should not eat in the evening and uh, it will be better for uh, freedom of illness and affliction and uh, we will enjoy the health and strength of a comfortable abiding. So then they went to the Buddha and, uh, and then the Buddha agreed. And then the Buddha said also that, uh, well, he just quote the whole thing. Anyway, the Buddha says that uh, 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 abstaining from food in the evening was better for the monastics. Huh? And uh, then he goes on, like I'm just using the sutta here because uh, it is speaking still about the Vedana, about the feelings. Huh? And uh, then the question is that the bhikkhus have you known me to teach the Dhamma in such a way as this? Whatever this person experiences, whether pleasant or painful, or neither painful nor pleasant, unwholesome states diminish in him and wholesome state increases. The answer is no. Because have you not known me to teach the Dhamma in such a way as this. Here, when someone feels a certain kind of pleasant feeling, unwholesome states increases in him and wholesome states diminishes. But when someone feels another kind of painful feeling, unwholesome states diminish in him and wholesome states increase. Here, when someone feels a certain kind of painful feeling, unwholesome states increase in him and wholesome states diminish. But when someone feels another kind of painful feeling, unwholesome states diminish in him and wholesome states increase. And then the same thing with, uh, with neither painful nor uh, pleasant feeling.
So here, when someone feels a certain kind of pleasant feeling, unwholesome states increase in him and wholesome states diminish. Will it be fitting for me, not knowing that, to say, abandon such a kind of pain of pleasant feeling? No, venerable. So here again, we see that the evaluation of the feelings, whether pleasure or unpleasure, is relating to the way the mind experiences them. That means if we are feeling a pleasant feeling, uh, if the wholesome uh, states of mind increases, it is good. If the unwholesome states of mind increases, it's not very good. So I think you understand that, huh? right? So then, then I mean, the, 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 it is very subtle. So the judgment about the pleasant or unpleasant experience is mostly in regard to what it creates in the mind, whether it is wholesome or whether it is unwholesome. That's why we have to see from the experience, you know, how do we, what does it make to our mind to, to have these, uh, these different experiences? And then in the case of unpleasant feeling, where now, I mean, they are dealing with uh, the aspect of uh, not eating at night, in the case it is unpleasant, huh? then in these situations are wholesome states developed or unwholesome states uh, developed? Hmm? So for somebody who is a, a good meditator, then the feeling of hunger may be unpleasant. Huh? But the person says, no, I will not bother by, by eating something and then I will be okay, you see. So the person habituates herself to not to not to eat in the evening and then instead giving time for her meditation then because of that so out of uh, painful feeling uh, pleasant uh, out of painful feelings all some states of mind are increasing so that's the reason this is the reason but also it can be adapted, and we should not be very strict, but this is the, 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 the rule for the monastics, is, is, not, to, is not to eat uh, after, uh, after midday. And also, yes, also, I mean, this is giving us a clue about uh, the, 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 the aspect of Vedana. So the feelings is not uh, by itself, it has to be evaluated in regard to what it does to the mind. So really now it's uh, five, seven. Huh? So you are please, you are you are free to to, to just go. And then if you just uh, uh, feel to listen to the few other questions, then you are welcome. But also you are welcome also just to uh, just to take it easy and continue your practice.
There is one question about uh, if I can elaborate on the insight knowledges and how they show their impact on daily life activities and relationship. So the insight knowledges are like the knowledge of uh, arising and passing away, and then the uh, uh, knowledge of dissolution, the knowledge of terror, the knowledge of danger, dispassion, and then the desire for deliverance, and then the knowledge of reflection and, and, and emptiness, and the, the knowledge also of uh, equanimity about formations. So before these uh, insight knowledge arise, then also you have uh, basic types of knowledge that have uh, to be the foundation for, for this deep uh, insight uh, uh, understanding. And the first uh, aspect of the fundamental or basic uh, knowledge that needs to be uh, really uh, understood is, uh, is about mind and body. So we need to be knowing about what is that body and what is that mind. So as, I, as uh, the first question that I tried to explain at the beginning, okay, now what is the practice? Uh, uh, how is the practice helping us to uh, understand a little bit more of causality? So I said, no, first we analyze uh, what are the components of the mind, and then we analyze also what are the components of the body. And then we see the relationship with, uh, with these two. So this is the first uh, steps that lead us to this uh, deep uh, insight of uh, Vipassana. So if we are able to have that perspective on ourselves, then from time to time when we practice meditation, then we see actually that, it's ju- it, that these are just a causal process of, uh, of phenomena. So in our daily life, it can maybe, it can also, it can, from time to time, it can help us just to back up from 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 a, a very strong reaction because we are able to to get some perspective and some kind of objectivity. Then the, another lo- knowledge that is uh, following this one is uh, the knowledge of overcoming doubts. Uh, so this is that means uh, you overcome the, all the doubts you have about uh, if if you are if we are here because of a creator or uh, why we are here. So this first knowledge shows us that uh, everything depends on condition, on causes and conditions. So by seeing that, we see the importance of karma. That means karma seen as volition, as our will to do. So the karma that we are doing is what is making us having these results. So by seeing that, we get a little bit more responsible in the sense that uh, in our daily life, sometimes we may find ourselves in a very difficult situation or in a, in a difficult position. And then if we, are, if we are able to see that, okay, now we are here, somehow, because we choose or because we didn't choose, but because what we did brought us in a specific situation. So we understand somehow that uh, what is happening now is the fruit of what happened before or what we have done before. You don't agree, no? Do you agree with that? That, that the process, what we are now, huh, is, is, is depending on previous causes. Huh? So that these causes are dependent on us. So we might not have a choice, but actually there was a choice. The choice was conditioned. So why, why did we come here? 
Why did we come here? We had choice, but we didn't have choice. We didn't have choice. You didn't have the choice to come here because you are conditioned. Because you think, oh, you you had an idea of what you were. Uh, this was the best thing for you to do. So in that, in that, in this sense, you didn't have a choice. But actually, you chose it because you wanted to come. So. In this way, whatever many, many situations in our life, we have to accept the responsibility for what is happening to a great extent. And then the life becomes much more, I mean, we can accept the difficulties because we see, well, you know, it's the results of my actions. See, sometimes you, you may get a very good job somewhere in society. If you look at that, you see, well, well, sometimes the causes are not so obvious, but uh, but uh, if you look deeply, you may realize, oh yes, of course, you know this because of this because of so many factors. Then this is what happened. This is what caused you to have that uh, social position. Hmm? So anyway, the understanding of uh, the details like that can give us more responsibility about uh, our present situation. And then also these other insight knowledge also they give us much more. Uh, much more detachment in regard to what is happening because we don't identify so much with the process. But also, uh, the insight knowledge uh, are not necessarily coming in daily, you know, encounter if we had not practiced before. So sometimes we may be caught up with the uh, wrong perceptions or uh, wrong handling of a situation, but the practice of insight will give us, at some point, the possibility to say, "Okay, no, it's not. It was not very important." Gives us the possibility to to take to take another stand. Whereas, if we didn't have these insights, then we will just keep ourselves in the drama that we have uh, been created. So, insight is giving us the possibility to get out of the dramas that we are building up constantly by creating uh, the interpretation or the stories we make out of the world. So can you comment on the effect of bowing or not bowing with the objective of mind developing mindfulness and of being happy and freeing the mind of greed, hatred and delusion? So bowing or not bowing is not so important, but we have to know that bowing is a sign of respect and also it's a sign of gratitude and appreciation. So in Asia, we are bowing to what we are respecting. So as much as uh, what we are bowing gives us uh, uh, that, uh, that sense of, uh, of uh, a reminder of uh, something important for us, then it's meaningful. And uh, uh, also if any type of bowing uh, motivates, you know, the lessening of greed and hatred and delusion, it is fine. But definitely the bowing is uh, conditioned by, uh, by the perception we, we make out of it, the conditioning that we are having. 
So it's not, ne it's not needed to do it, but also if we do it, then we can see what it brings. What the, it depends also how we are doing it. So here's a question about me. Uh, that I have trained extensively in several schools of meditation, for example, Lubakin, Mahasi, and Park. In your practice, do you integrate aspects of these or other approaches? And how? So, of course, like uh, the whole tradition, like whether it's uh, with the Lubakin school or Mahasi or Park, it deals with the same thing. So, it's just that the approach to the meditation is a little bit different. And uh, eventually, we have to integrate any types of methods into our own practice. So I got many benefits from, uh, from pra practicing from these uh, different schools, and also I am making my own uh, practice out of, out of that by having uh, learned many types of uh, meditation methods. Also, I think uh, that this practice also connected me to, uh, to the Buddhist tradition and uh, with the text. So uh, you listen, now we are using so many texts, you see, and then we are reading to you so many texts. No? So these texts actually are uh, the expression of how the tradition kept alive. And also these texts are uh, the different approaches that can, be, uh, that can help us to deal with uh, different aspects of uh, our life. But all the meditations, methods, are related to the to these uh, two aspects of these uh, these texts only that uh, uh, specific uh, well specific techniques also uh, uh, they have been used from uh, different uh, schools it's just that the approaches are not the same So can you share with us about some of the monasteries you practice in Myanmar? Who are the teachers? What is the approach? So uh, I think it would be very vast to, uh, to go into the details and uh, to, uh, to give the different approaches. I think it will, uh, it will need a few hours just to go specifically with one, with one school or one monastery instead of, uh, I mean, from one monastery to another monastery. So it's just that the approaches, one, you, you may have some approaches that are emphasizing, emphasizing samatha and then other approaches that are, that are emphasizing uh, vipassana. Some approaches also with, will, will deal with metta or, you know, with anapanasati or any, anything like this. So it, it, is a, uh, it is, you have a lot of variety. All the possible uh, combinations can be seen in the, in the tradition, in the monasteries over there. And can you comment on the relationship and importance of the Vinaya and the monastic life on Buddhist practice today? So the importance of the Vinaya and the monastic life on the Buddhist practice, not only today but before, is uh, very important because this is the Vinaya, the monastic code, that uh, kept uh, the, the monastic community together and also that kept uh, a kind of integrity within that monastic uh, world so that it, it was able to survive, you know, through traditions. And this is the difference, I think, with some of uh, other traditions, 
where the, the discipline is not uh, uh, clearly laid down. Huh? So people are just uh, free to do whatever they want and they don't care about the precepts and then also they don't know also how to, how to uh, 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 live together. So all the monastic uh, vinaya, all the, mon the, the, co the code of monastic life uh, regulated by, by the vinaya is uh, very important and this is what has kept the 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 teachings alive still now because if we don't have the monastics i think it would have been very difficult to to have kept uh, you know the 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 living tradition of what we find here because before it get printed these texts they were handed out uh, orally so the monastics they, they learn these texts uh, by heart and then it was transmitted from uh, generation to ge the generation, so it was a life commitment to th to these types of things. But the life commitment also uh, also uh, uh, re uh, re related to the the discipline that the monastics had. Huh? So the lifestyle is very different. I mean, it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of different. Yes. So I think I will stop here. I think the most of the questions have been uh, have been looked at. If you have any comments or any other uh, questions, you are please uh, welcome to ask it. Otherwise, you just continue your practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.